Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast. With me, your host, Russell Guyver. We are rejoined by Robin Woolley, who's back after a couple of weeks off. How are you, Robin? I'm all right. Yes, my uh, wedding anniversary today. So yeah. being uh, so... being one of the world's great romantics, I've decided to <laughs> spend it doing this. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed you're getting away with that, or at least you think you are. Um, uh, yeah, the latter, I think the latter, I think, is probably the better explanation. But, you know, all good, all good. Yeah. We are going to be talking about the Saints game and looking ahead to the Leicester game on this episode. But first of all, we are very delighted to welcome a special guest making his debut on the podcast and to talk all things Albion. It's um, sports writer and journalist Nick Shabanek. How are you, Nick? And welcome to the show. Good, thanks. Good evening. Very pleased to be here. Excellent. And you're looking very studious with your bookcase behind. I think it's a compulsory backdrop, I think, for uh, for any journalists on Zoom, isn't it? They're my wife's (laughs) books. Oh, are they? <laughs> Medieval history and all and the like. No, my my books are in another room. Oh, right. There's not enough, such a good internet connection there. Okay. Um, well, it was great to have you on the show because um, you're an, as well as being a renowned sports writer, you are an Albion fan as well. You've written um, a prominent book, Brighton Up, about our uh, two years getting into the Premier League in the more recent times. Um, and it's a pleasure to have you on. What I wanted to do, though, to start with, was to ask you about the Albion connection. How um, how did you come to be a Brighton fan? Were you a Sussex boy originally? And when did it all start for you? Uh, oh, yeah, no, very much a Sussex boy, born in the uh, the old maternity hospital in Buckingham Road. Um, we lived in a flat in Old Steen until I was about nine and then moved into Hove. Um, so I was about 10 minutes walk from the Goldstone. So um, yeah. very hard to avoid it, even if I'd wanted to. <laughs> lovely and what sort of age do you think were you first going to the games or when did you go to the first game live at least i think 1969 it was a one-all draw against bournemouth alan gilliver scored and typically bournemouth equalized quite near the end um the weird thing was it wasn't the first game i'd ever been to um my mother's family were all from leeds and um earlier that year i'd been up in leeds and my cousin said oh let's go to ellen road uh so um 
my mum my wasn't terribly keen about going to football because of, you know, she'd heard about all this hooliganism and um, thought mm. that the Goldstone must be an appalling place full of violence. But uh, what she didn't know didn't hurt her. So going to Elland Road to see uh, Leeds beat Tottenham um, 3-1. Uh, Alan Clark's first league game for, for Leeds. Ah, uh, Jimmy Greaves yeah. for Spurs. Um, and after that, I, I said, well, look, you know, look, Mom, I've been to I've been to Elland Road, you know, the Goldstone's not going to be any problem, is it? You know, so... And uh, yeah, generally speaking, it wasn't so. All, all was well. Yeah. And so growing up in the household and going going along to games, what was the early culture? Did you go along with family at first um, for the Albion games? Uh, or, no, friends from school, really. Um, yeah. We, uh, a lot of us went on the East Terrace and um, in the, uh, some people might, some people of a certain vintage might uh, remember a good win for England banner on the East Terraces during the 71-72 the, uh, promotion season, which was uh, Hove Grammar School um, prefects room or sixth form or something that were, we were, we were behind that. I think, and we, um, we presented him with, with something, I think before the Rochdale game, it wasn't actually the banner, but it was a sort of scaled down version. I don't know. I think some people claim to actually have the banner somewhere. And Van Dien also claimed to, um, they, they'd originated the banner, but no, it was, it was Hove Grammar School, no question. Now Blackington Mill, of course. Excellent. And those those were um, sort of heady times. Some of the, some of the times you got into in that era, um, big crowds. I think I'm, I'm a little hard to place exactly from my point of view. I started going in '79, but um, looking back through the annals of history, I think we had some pretty big crowds in, for example, the third tier, didn't we? Batman? Big crowds. Yeah, I remember there was the um, Easter uh, game against Aston Villa. Uh, which was on match of the day when we beat Villa 2-1. I think it was only 28,000 for that that game because I think people thought it was going to be difficult getting in. So if some people didn't turn up. And then the groundsman uh, painted some bare patches with green paint to make it look better on the television. Uh, and the <laughs> Willie, Irvine, Willie Irvine's opening goal, uh, I think, came third in goal of the season. Um, but I think we had 34,000 for the final game against Rochdale when both teams needed a point. We needed a point to go up. They needed a point to stay up. So after an exchange of early goals, the rest of the game was a sort of you know series of long punts from one area to another. And uh, but no, it was an amazing promotion run in. You know, lots of seats of the pants, late goals, and um, I remember one. Of course, they didn't synchronise kickoffs, so I think we we were shouting out the you know that whoever had lost to the players, you know, hoping to inspire them to to get a you know the. A, Game goal in the tenth minute of injury time, and quite often that goal did actually arrive in the tenth minute of injury time. So, uh, no, it was um, amazing uh, running, but just pit Bournemouth to to the runners up spot. Um, but it, the second the season afterwards, up in the what's now the Championship, it all fell apart a bit, and uh, we came straight back down. But uh, I was at university by then, so I um, although I forced myself to attend a few games, it was uh, luckily I missed some of the some of the worst ones. Yeah. And who were your heroes in this era growing up in, in terms of who, who did you really aspire uh, to be in the playgrounds and so on? I wasn't, I wasn't even good enough to... to um, well, we, we loved Ian Goodwin, um, big Reggie Goodwin, who, um, you know, he was he, he looked like some bloke who just sort of wandered off, off the, you know, off the street into the team, you know, and just was you know, just a big hard guy at the back and we liked him. He's, he put in maximum effort. I actually got to meet him um, at the launch of Spencer Fingers's um, Bloody Southerners book. And, you know, it's ridiculous because obviously, you know, as somebody who reports on Premier League games, you know, most weekends, I get to meet, you know, big name footballers, but I was absolutely starstruck by meeting 
Ian Goodwin and John Templeman and uh, Lammy Robertson and all those those guys from the 1972 and 1973 teams. And we like yeah. Ken Beamish as well. And, Kit Napier, fantastically skillful Scottish player, a bit of a winger sometimes, centre forward, scored an amazing goal um, in front of 30,000 against Bournemouth in one of the Christmas games that year um, in a 2 0 win, diving header at the South Stand end. Yeah, after a sort of length of the field team move. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, I, could, I can still reel off, you know, all the, the members of that team. I won't bore you with it, but I, I still could, and the, and the subs. And I, actually, I've met um, Ian Goodwin. He came up to Seagulls over London, in fact, um, in connection with uh, Spencer, um, centred around the book. Again, it's a, a similar sort of function, I think, we had up in, in London at the time. Yeah. And a nice guy as well. I think he had yeah. a bit of a raw deal with Cluffy, didn't he? Yeah, um, very much so. And, and he, he was a bit unlucky with injuries as well. Um, no, mm. but um, no, top guy. It was, it was, that's the thing. I mean, it was great to meet all those guys. And um and none of them let let you down. You know, they were all really good good characters and uh, it was a great pleasure to meet them. And uh, as I say, you know, real real heroes of mine, not not, not these sort of, these uh, spoiled posers of the Premier League now. Not ours, not ours, <laughs> ours our wonderful Premier League players, but all the other the players from the other teams. <laughs> I love it. Excellent. Um, looks like Rob, Robin's ready to say something. He's come off mute now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I've. it's interesting. The only people from that, kind of era that I've met is obviously Wardy who I've developed a, a bit of a friendship with and it's quite bizarre when when my relationship with him is totally as a result of kind of meeting him so when you walk down the street with him in Brighton and you see fans of the older generations who saw it, and it's like hmm. they kind of grown men descend into this kind of almost like teenage girl kind of you know, whatever. It's almost they could be doing anything very serious and they see Wardy and they almost mm. melt into this puddle on the floor. And it's quite interesting when you see that even, you know, it shows us football fans, whatever age you are, you know, when you come across someone yeah. who is or was your well, it's, hero. It's kind of it's, difficult because, um, you know, I had to have a professional relationship with Brian Horton when he became manager. Um, and when I've met him, you know, in, in roles at, at other clubs. And yet he is my all time favourite footballer. You know, a great captain for us, fantastic player. God, if we'd have had a player like him now, what would he be worth? You just can't imagine it, you know. Totally dominating box-to-box midfield player, could defend, could could shoot, leader, you know, um, great character. And you know, we had we had a few of those in, the, in that promotion team of 79. That's why, that's why we did so well. But um, no, it's very difficult um, keeping that sort of professional distance. And... Um, I'm not sure I've ever mentioned he was my favourite player of all time, but you know, I'm thinking he probably he probably gets that from a lot of a lot of people. But it's kind of interesting because um, I was um, involved in Dick Knight's book uh, to some extent, so I, I had a very sort of very um, you know good relationship with Dick, having worked on, on on that and got to know his family and everything like that. But yeah, walking down the street with him, you sort of get a feeling of what that must be like, you know, for him and Peter Ward, you know, because you can't walk 10 yards in Brighton Hove without somebody coming up to Dick and wanting to shake his hand. And in fact, we, when we went to, to um, Paul Welch's funeral, we both parked down in Preston Village and we were walking down the hill and there's this guy in a hole in the road digging away. He looked up, saw Dick Knight, jumped out of the hole, sort of you know, cleaned his hand off and said, Dick, you know, can I say, and I said to Dick, do you pay these people to sort of lurk around <laughs> to corners, plant you know, so that you can, they can sort of pop out and, um, 
keep the Dick Knight image going. But no, it's it's it just shows you, you know, what the Albion means to to people all over Sussex, you know, all over Brighton and Hove. And that, you know, the if you're a you know, if you're a, a, a player of renown or, you know, somebody or a, a manager that people remember, you know, that they'll always, you know, they'll always get that sort of reception here. Yeah, I mean, I suppose yeah. the, the modern example of that is Bruno, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, we chatted to Bruno on a, there's another album podcast that I was a guest on and we had Bruno on and we were chatting to him and he said he was talking specifically about the Man City game. And obviously, you know, his very emotional speech at the end and the entire stadium, you know, chanting his name, et cetera, for quite a lot of time. And he said he was getting messages from friends and family back in Spain who were saying, how have you gone over to a city that you've got no connection with before you arrived? You've been there for seven years and now you've got 30,000 people basically idolizing you. And he said it's they couldn't they couldn't get their head around how this guy had come over from Spain and the entire city had basically adopted him to kind of reverential levels. Yeah, I mean, well, there are some of those special characters, aren't they? Inigo Calderon was another one, you know. It's ironic that those two were, were vying for the same position in, in the team, mm. you know. And um, there, are, there are other players who, you know, who probably put in as much effort you know, on the field and everything, but just don't seem to connect in a certain way. And probably, we could probably all, um, you know, think of players, you know, who have been fantastic servants and very valuable, who've, gone off to another a northern team you know this season and um you know without that sort of um reverence and yet you know i'm sure that that player we're talking about put in as much effort on the field and, and did his best but you know there are just some guys who connect aren't they and and um yeah you know, i mean they, there was a, there's a striker that, who joined that expensive. same northern team who didn't get the didn't really get the adulation when he was here that he should have done in my book as well but. Well, no, that's the thing. I mean, but it's it, you go to you go to all sorts all sorts of clubs. You know, I go to clubs and and I say, you know, why is such and such a player getting booed? You know, why can't people say how see how valuable? Because they there are there are players that in every every club that the crowd doesn't take to, or they're the scapegoat, and when everything goes wrong, it's oh so and so. And you know, you're looking from the outside and you say, well, God, you know, if this club doesn't want him, we'll have him. But um, no, it, it's 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 a weird thing, isn't it? Sometimes it's one match, you know, where something goes wrong and um, they 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 aren't able to put it right. But um, no, it, it's, it's difficult. You know, it's very hard. You don't ever want to to boo an Albion player, but although some some people do test your patience, of course. But um, no, that some people feel less reluctant to to let their feelings be known. It's it's difficult, obviously, because as we know, passions run high at games, and um, it's they seem to run higher and higher. The, the further up the leagues you go and that, and the problem with the premier league is of course the the stakes are so high and there's there are fewer games so there's more time between matches to, to sort of get worked up and you know if in in a champ in the championship you've got another game on tuesday and you can forget all about what went wrong on the weekend but uh, not in the premier league you know it, it, whatever went wrong is festering for for seven days most of the time pretty much yeah you're right I think the other the weird the weird thing I found with Stevens in particular was that oh was that who we're talking about oh right okay when we got to the <laughs> Premier League people forgot that we went through that very long run where we basically never used to win if he wasn't in the team mm, absolutely and people just it just seemed to disappear from people's consciousness overnight almost yeah yeah well the thing is he he sort of became a different player didn't he because he he weighed in with a few goals hadn't he in in the Championship but. When he got to the Premier League, he he had to play a very sort of restricted role, you know, uh, him and Davy Prupper as well, uh, and you know, and I think that any natural attacking instincts that they, they might have had 
I think Stephen scored that one goal in the cup against Crystal Palace, didn't he? And that that was it for for him. And, and goals sort of they they win you back, you know, uh, you know, and lots of things you might have lost with the crowd, you know, quite easily. You 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 knock a couple in at a vital moment, and all is forgiven. But he, he never really had that chance, and his role in the team, you know, meant that um, he wasn't able to sort of get his place in the team in the in the the affections back in. Of course, his probably his greatest moment in the Premier League was the pass out to knock up before the winner. At yeah, I was Palace. about and to mention he, he never gets any unbelievable it's... pass. You still, you know, you still look at it and think, wow, you know, what a what a pick, um, you know, and, and and what it led to. And yet, of course, there was only you know a few thousand Albion fans actually to see that moment in the flesh. Yeah, and he actually yeah. was, was actually aimed right at them. They would have seen it, the ball coming towards them, you know, in that yeah ball, diagonal towards way. it, yeah. Yeah, I had the perfect view of that, and it was fantastic. But um, on small matters, these things happened. Uh, Knockout may not have been on the pitch to receive that pass. Well, yeah, we were discussing that yesterday, actually, yeah. yeah. The VAR, yeah. yes, that, that might have been a different situation, yes. Yeah, exactly. But it's, yeah, I mean, we, we've always had this little bit of an issue, haven't we, with Boo Boys? There's, there's always been that element, I think, of the Albion through Well, it's not just years. the Albion. Every club um, has them, you know, places like... I was going to say, yeah. Um, um, Coventry had them. I remember Ernie Machin, um, who, who later came to the Albion. He had a terrible time at Coventry, and there was, um, oh, various Tottenham players got picked on. John Pratt got picked on mercilessly, um, you know, and for just trying to do his job and not having a very glamorous role. Every, every, almost every club you go to, there will be a player that the manager loves and picks every week, and the the the, the um. The fans can't understand it. I've got a friend who's a Southampton season ticket holder, used to be a Southampton steward. And he said to me one day, do you know, I have no idea what this bloke James Ward-Prowse is doing in the team. I don't understand what he does. <laughs> you know, and, and he would have, wouldn't have had James Ward-Prowse in the team. And when, I, when he said that, I started to watch him quite closely for a couple of games. And I thought, you know what, he's right. Um, he's, he was almost at that point, you know, if he'd been in the NFL, he'd been a special teams player. He'd been a kicker. Um, and I remember once when they were going through a particularly bad spell, he was brought on, on in the 92nd minute just to take a corner. And But now he seems to have become, I don't know, he's, he's been reborn as this all-action midfield player. And uh, But I still, you know, I go back to what this friend of mine said. And so, you know, it's... Um, uh, it's it's just different at different clubs, you know. There'll be somebody, there'll somebody they like. Um, friends of mine who weren't Albion supporters couldn't understand what we all saw in Peter O'Sullivan, and yet, you know, we worshipped the ground he 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 ran lightly over, and uh, you know, because we saw him every week and we thought he was fantastic. But um, other people who saw him occasionally just didn't get it. That's an interesting point, actually. You get, uh, I think, seeing players in the ground as opposed to on TV, oh, yeah. you do miss an awful lot. And actually get a lot of armchair fans that will say, so-and-so had a terrible game or so-and-so didn't do anything. And you actually think, well, actually, they might have done all of the dirty work, which doesn't get picked up on the highlights, but they actually kept the whole game ticking over if you watched it as a fan in the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a completely different experience. Yeah, those dirty work roles are the ones, the unsung heroes. They're often the ones that get picked up, yeah. aren't they? I think well, that, you mentioned I mean, Stevens. That, I, guess, you know, Steve, I mean, that's for Stevens, wasn't it? I mean, he, recycling the ball, mm. keeping moves going, just generally ticking things over, that's not going to be picked up. You know, it might is, get picked up for analysis occasionally yeah. by the pundits, but it's not going to be in the mm. in the highlights this package. Is quite often why players' player of the season is different from the, the fans' player of the season. I mean, don't forget that the first mm. ever um, PFA footballer of the year was Norman Hunter. Um, you know, and uh, that wasn't uh, what the, the public had been expecting. 
<laughs> no, no, he's quite quite a different kind of character to the uh, the silky smooth um, personas of the time, I'm sure. Um, so, so yeah. So as as time moved on as as an Albion fan, Nick, have you? Uh, we'll get on to talking about your career in a moment, but um, in terms of um, up from the backdrop of of being a a, a journalist by that point, has your um, love for the club changed in any way? Have you have you found yourself more more attuned to it in a strange sort of way by having not been able to attend games as much um Albion games that's a difficult one no that is a difficult one I mean it was um <laughs> you got the situation when they were playing at Withdean if I was going to you know report a game at Arsenal or Chelsea and I'd be on the train going past Withdean looking sort of longingly at people going up under the bridge to see us play Mansfield or um you know Burton <laughs> Albion or something and I was having to make do with Arsenal against Manchester United or something awful. Um, no, very difficult. I mean, it was, um, there's definitely sort of been a trade-off. I, I sort of wondered whether, you know, in some way I'd cursed the Albion, you know, as, as they kept getting the, you know, it was some sort of evil, you know, deal with the devil where I'd get to, to go to Premier League games and the Albion would be, you know, with Dean for the rest of all time and, and stuck in the lower divisions. But uh, thank God it's nothing to do with me. So, no, but it's, you know, it's, it is slightly soul destroying having to go somewhere else when the Albion are playing at the, the Amex. I am a season ticket holder, you know, and I go whenever I possibly can. And, you know, it, when people say, Oh God, you know, the game has been moved to Monday night. I'm thinking, yes, it's been moved to Monday night. I can see it. Or, um, so, you know, all those things. But yeah. I remember, uh, Oh God, when we played Swansea, um, at the, the Amex, and I think I was doing a Fulham five thirty kickoff. And on my way to Craven Cottage, you know, I was just I was on my phone all the time looking for score flashes and trying to follow Andy Naylor's tweets and everything. And, you know, and then got to the, you know, the ground found we'd won, you know, got that we'd won 4-1. And it was just brilliant. You know, I sort of floated through Fulham against Burnley or whatever it was, you know, and it was just great. And it just alters the whole day, you know. But um, no, but obviously, you know, when I am actually able to report at the Amex or do, or do an away game and... Um, that's a great thing because, you know, you not only get to enjoy the game, but then you can go down into the tunnel and speak to some of the players afterwards. Well, you used to be able to before things got weird. You can't now. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I mean, obviously, you know, and, and doing the book, um, you know, I was right right in there for, for most of those two seasons and, um, you know, the training ground and the, the club were fantastic, you know, arranging for, for me to speak to, you know, all the players and speak to, Paul Wynn Stanley and Tony Bloom and, you know, and everybody. Um, and Chris Hewton, of course, who, uh, who was also very helpful. I've still got a, a Chris Hewton picture on my, as my, um, as my laptop uh, screensaver. So um, I don't know. He's, he's still there in, in, in my heart or on my laptop anyway. Interesting. Hmm. Well, um, with the, regards to the career then, when, when did you um, first know you wanted to be a journalist and or a writer for sport was it very early on not really no um no i i i I veered into it i I mean i've done various things and most of the time earlier in my so-called career i I was actually an english teacher i did a level english and english as a foreign language but as i started doing lots of writing for fanzines and and uh, you know got more interested in that and I, i got the impression where i thought well look teaching's all very well for those people who want to do it uh, I think I don't. Um, and, you know, the, I was building up some writing as well. Um, I went on from 
Goals Eye to uh, oh, various other publications, a bit of uh, Total Football, uh, a bit of Four Four Two. Um, got in, tried to you know got into newspapers. I had one or two people I knew who'd made a sort of similar sort of jump. So I sort of you know got every contact I could possibly do and badgered every single person. Got very very lucky. Um, sort of caught on at the times. Uh, then went from a you know occasional freelancer to a to a contract employer and then finally on staff. And um, so I was there for ten years, um, mainly doing stuff in the in the southeast but um you know got got to pretty much every premier league ground in the country you know so uh, it's 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 quite a shock to the system where they say can you go to blackburn tomorrow night and you think oh i suppose so yeah where the hell is blackburn Delightful. but um <laughs> no it's uh but it's great but also european stuff as well you know that was um uh, i was in an unusual situation in that if, if there was a spare European team that nobody was covering I, I used to, to to get it so that um if, if we had a, a regular Celtic guy but nobody did Rangers so if Rangers were in Europe the same night at Celtic I'd be packed off to well I got some, some great gigs I got um Istanbul uh Athens with Rangers wow. you know some tremendous trips you know places that it would cost you hundreds and thousands of pounds to get to you know you you somebody paid you to go there and uh wander around the Blue Mosque and the Acropolis and uh, things. Um, also had to go to Stuttgart with Rangers. That wasn't quite so so interesting. But no, I think I, I reckon I must have gone to a majority of European capital cities with Fulham or Chelsea or Arsenal or Millwall or, or somebody or other, even Manchester United. The, the goals I stuff, I'm, I, I thought I remembered that you'd written for that. I couldn't quite remember. But um, that's interesting because that was obviously a, one of the seminal fanzines at the time. I remember reading them. I, I fortunately don't have any copies anymore of the old ones I used to buy um, in my North Stand days. But um, that was a great fanzine. Do you think that that helped to springboard to get the uh, the jobs with the magazines then, which was next in line, wasn't it? Well, it gets you writing, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you have you know it gets you practiced in organising your thoughts and, and making it readable and um, hmm. trying to get the jokes in as well. Uh, so <laughs> that. Uh, no, and also, if you know, if you've got Ian Hart and Peter Kennard badgering you for uh, for something for by a certain date, you get used to deadlines. Not quite as uh, as stringent as the as the deadlines, you know, these days where um, you know, it's it's got to be six hundred words on the whistle with teams and a rewrite by ten thirty. Yeah. Um. That that's mind focusing, and uh, the agency I'm working for these days sometimes you can be doing two or three different papers at the same time. Um. So uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it was a start, and you know, you thought, yeah, I like doing this. You know, I want to do more of this. And um, but, yeah, so the irony is that the the more successful you get, the, the less you uh, you get to cover your own club, unless you're Andy Naylor, who isn't even an Albion fan, or Brian Owen, let's say. So um, yeah, yeah true, it's, uh, so there was a bit of a trade off, but um, no, I thought uh, <laughs> goals. I was great. It was a great thing, and I, I've still got um, a fo- Johnny Crumplin Football Genius T-shirt somewhere. And um, I know that uh, well, I, I did something with Gary Chivers and uh, he remembered the we've got a Maltese International uh, T-shirt, but uh, I think he did have one, but I don't think he could lay hands on it at the moment. And he, of course, never ended up being a Maltese International. Sad story because he didn't actually qualify. Although his dad was Maltese, he couldn't speak the language and he wasn't married to a Maltese person, didn't live there. And those were the three. Oh, oh. Um, wow. So they were playing the Republic of Ireland when he was uh, going to be called up. And of course, 
any you know he would easily have qualified for the republic if that had um you know been the other way around through through having a, yeah. a, a, a father but um Malta, Malta, oddly enough, is uh, stricter in its international requirements than Repu- Republic of Ireland. So, well, l- lack of eligibility didn't, doesn't stop some people. Tony Cascarino. He was a colleague at the Times, and um, no, he's a very, very impressive and knowledgeable guy. Actually, I'm, mm. uh, I, I had to ghost his. Oops, am I giving too much information away? Cas doesn't actually write his own con. Uh, you know, <laughs> you phone him up. Um, so for, let's say there was an England game and um, I said, look, you know, I'll phone you up half time and we'll get some early impressions down so we don't have to write it all on the final whistle. And he said, OK, right. You know, so I phoned him at half time. I said, well, what do you think of it? So I said, well, England need to do this, this and this, really. And in the second half, England did that, that and that. And it all worked. And I thought, wow, you know, he absolutely nailed what needed to happen. And uh, no, he's, um, he's a very clever bloke, actually. I think he's um, I think he knows. um well, I, I, he gave me an early steer um, as to uh, where the money might be coming from to, to fund um, where we are now, because I think uh, he played quite a lot of poker and he know, knew Tony and Darren Bloom reasonably well mm. and uh, said, I think there might be quite a lot of money coming into your club soon, you know, quite soon. And this is before their names were generally known. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I remember... Tony Cascarino, I think I wrote to the club as a kid recommending that we sign him. That was probably one of those cringing ben White letters. Style ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, if we could have, if we had this, this, the, the set of tracksuits to um, give, was it Crockenhill he came from, someone like that? Something like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But some good players through the years. I mean, in, um, in terms of um, the, the Goldseye era, um, were you on board from the beginning of that, by the way? No, I think because Pete, Peter and Ian used to used to sell it by the church, didn't they? The the, the yeah. corner of the Goldstone, and hmm. I, I think I might have volunteered my services. I, I really can't remember. It's, it really is all so long ago. I do remember the the um, the cover of that what, uh, the, uh, the the one they got uh, in trouble for, the one with oh, yeah. the the aeroplane on, and uh, hmm. I remember there was a gold's eye sponsored game wasn't there where we all went into the the lounge and then the game itself was rained off oh, so no. we just enjoyed all the hospitality instead but um, was that cardiff oh, well. I, probably probably better outcome yeah <laughs> it might have been um i can't remember actually if it would have been cardiff then um but yeah it was um an interesting time i mean did you write under your own name or did you have a pseudonym no 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 i had the same uh, pseudonym that i have on uh, north stand chat which well, is, for anyone that doesn't know? Uh, not Andy Naylor. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So you had that way back then as well. Apparently the real Andy Naylor was quite annoyed by that. Um, <laughs> but uh, still, I think, oh, he's, I think he's done well enough for himself not to have to worry about uh, cheap imitations. Exactly, exactly. I and, got blocked uh, by him on Twitter for a very dull joke. I can't even remember what it was. It was, so, it was needless. That's Stoke. No, I don't think it was. It wasn't Stoke related. It was something. I think it was a dread. Knowing me, it was a dreadful pun about something not particularly relevant. And yeah. just the audience <laughs> went, "Who's this guy? You're out." I can vouch for um, your puns, Robin. Yeah. Andy takes fearful stick, but it's the hard. It's it's one of the hardest jobs in journalism to be mm. a local guy, you know, and, yeah. and tread that fine line of, you know, reporting honestly on the club without offending them and getting banned, um, you know. And it's of course it's. 
it's been easier as they've as they've been successful because you're just reporting good news stories all the time but you know when things don't go so well and you have to actually sort of say who didn't play well or um you know um you know, try and pick holes in in the performances it's a difficult thing and uh, you know he he did it for many many years very well i think brian owen yeah, is doing absolutely. it as well so i mean mm. i think if people are critical of uh, what andy did for the argus and um you know and what brian owens do they need to go to some other places and pick up the local paper and see how absolutely some of the coverage is you know to realize how lucky we've been to have um, yeah it was being quite flippant yeah andy was great and the thing that i felt a bit sorry for him was almost the albion get to the premier league so in, in kind of journalistic terms he's reached the premier league too and it's almost at that point everyone else suddenly becomes interested in the albion and the coverage is a lot more diluted if you see what i mean so it's almost like he's done the hard yards if you see what i mean and then everyone else also then suddenly takes an interest yeah it's 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 kind of tricky when you're a local person at the at at a big club because i mean you know, there are you know you, you know the, there are people from the islington gazette who cover arsenal you know and there's you know the new um, a recorder who, who cover west ham and you know they, they've they're all sort of swamped by you know <laughs> Big names, well, if there are such things, big names from from what used to be Fleet Street coming into the press conferences and trying to dominate. But most clubs, you know, give their local people something extra, you know, on another day and make sure they're looked after, you know, because uh, it, it's good to have a, a, a paper on your side. I and mean, if you think about how supportive the Albion, the Argus was, you know, throughout the whole Falmer um, drive, you yeah. know, if, if you haven't got the local paper on your on your side, you're you're really um, you know missing out on on a very valuable resource. So. Uh, I mean, obviously, Andy had his fallouts with uh, with Dick Knight, and um, <laughs> things got but, I mean, stressed at times. Doing... But they're bound to, you know, if, if you're, you're not going to do not, your job, is it? Occasionally, people, you're probably not doing your job properly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've got to occasionally, if this, you've got to tell the story, don't you? And you yeah. know, helpfully, sometimes it's going to be positive, but not always. Mm. Yeah, and through no fault of your own, you can get into some awkward situations. Um, Southampton, I, I did a course in Southampton and I've got friends there, um, have one of them on uh, the preview for the Saints game. And um, we were talking about Nicola Cortese's uh, era under Lieber. And um, I think the press were banned at one point, weren't they? Uh, the local press oh, yes. down there, they'd fallen out with them. And I think that was probably um, largely to, to blame there the club, I would imagine. Nicola Cortese was he could he 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 fell out with everybody he fell out with the stewards you know no he fell out with you know you had the great the mighty Rupert Lowe at one point you know who oh yeah oh well no I I don't know I probably better not say some of those things there are you know there might be (laughs) no it's um I do remember turning up at the at their press entrance once and um when they had instituted bag checks for the first time and, and the guy on the on the door who I know pretty well he said oh Nick you know um, we've got to search your bag I'm afraid I mean I know you wouldn't want to blow this place up I'm thinking wouldn't I Uh, (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't be that sure just because I'm nice to you and you know doesn't mean that I'm you know I particularly love your club or or anything that uh, and if they're playing the Albion you know then I I wish them all the ill in the world of course anyone we're playing (laughs) indeed Um, when you're um, as as your career was developing did you find that um, it, it was hard to report? Or I don't know if you did report on Albion games um, at all in the earlier days. Did well, you find no, it hard see, to now here's them? the thing. I think almost every reporter who reports on their own team, if, if, if they've lost, will be 
harsher on them than the mm. average one because you feel more personally let down. Now, I think the um, I think the aim is is to be accused of being biased by both teams. Um, which you know that's that's the ultimate aim. If if everybody thinks you you're against them, then you've probably got the the balance about right. No, I mean you're, I think most people are, are studiously um, impartial uh, or as impartial as they can be. I mean, there's one Premier League club that I absolutely loathe and detest on every single level, and I hope it has never come through in anything I've written. Um, so, you know, I, um, I don't know. I, yeah, I did. So I, when I was working for the independent later, somebody, um, a friend of mine texted me and said, um, look on the, uh, look on the comments underneath your match report and look at number four. And I looked at it and it said, why don't you F off back to Warsaw, you biased Polish, uh, four letter word. And I'm thinking, oh, that's unpleasant. But then I realised oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know which of the two clubs that had come from. So that was brilliant, you know. So I, I, even then, while being accused of bias, I, they they hadn't said which club I was alleged to have been biased against or, or for. So I suppose that you know, I wasn't that impressed that the paper I'd worked for had left it up on its comments. But um, but nice no, story. it was so interesting. <laughs> yeah. And you, I mean, you had a distinguished career. You, I think you had something like 14 years, I was reading on the uh, the books leave actually, and um, with the Times, yeah. Um, in total, and you were the independent all, uh, for a long time. In, you know, from freelancing to, to being on staff and then uh, hmm. and, and then being made redundant in 2010. But uh, it was it was probably the right time actually, it was good to um, to go off and go somewhere else. And I found myself working mainly for the independent, um. Which was fantastic, really. That was it. Was just a, um, it was another broadsheet, but almost. I can't, it's hard to imagine how, how different two broadsheets can be. I mean, the the independent was a much more sort of, you know, shoestring operation, um, but it was uh, I don't know. There was a slightly smaller and warmer and and sort of more in line with my politics. I would say, you know, working for a Murdoch paper was was one thing you know basically I, I worked for for the, the only paper that offered me a job um you know but um it was it was the, the difference I was thinking is it was made obviously in, in the Christmas parties and the Times Christmas party was always held somewhere you know and it was kind of very political who was talking to whom and you know and uh who you were supposed to st- well, at one point I was told to um asked if I could could um monopolize the attention of another journalist so that he didn't uh, go up and bore the editor and uh, all this sort of stuff and and then the the first in indie christmas event i uh, i went to was a sort of big massive lunch at an italian restaurant with a quiz um and then a huge piss up which lasted until the the late hours you know it was a, a very i've no idea how a paper got put out that day uh, certainly not how a sports section because everyone seemed to be in this pub but um, no, it was great. I mean, it was. Um, I did a lot, a lot of stuff for the Sunday, which is a completely different discipline working for a Sunday paper than um, than for a daily. And uh, it was, you know, because the, it was a smaller operation, you got better matches. Um, you got to uh, 
uh, have more input into into ideas and uh, you got more space because there were fewer people competing for uh fewer egos um no it was just great and uh, loved it and i i was i thought it was a dark day for for the newspaper industry when the independent went uh, digital only because i thought that the the paper was a fantastic product but i just don't think enough people saw it i think if more people had actually seen the indie i think they they would have loved it i thought it was a great looking paper and there were some great writers in it on sport you know ian herbert who's now gone to the mail tim rich you know the writes the funniest intros you'll ever read um no and uh, really enjoyed that but i say but i did have a great time at the times and and you know a lot of the, the people i worked with there tony evans who was football editor when i left you know just you know hilarious character and you know really good has proved to be a good writer as well as a you know a good editor and um no i worked for some some good people there on the sports desk uh you know the the Murdoch element of it wasn't wasn't something I necessarily subscribed to, but hey, you know that I know I know of of uh, strong Labour voters who work for the Daily Express. You know, you what happens on the in the sports pages is often completely unrelated to the front end and its politics. Yeah, and one one thing I must mention as well with um, being an Albion fan in exile for for some of the time elsewhere in the country, um, well elsewhere in the south. Um, it was it was great in times when we weren't getting a lot of coverage, when we're in the lower reaches, when we're struggling to try and get the stadium. It was really good to see your name come up and 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 find out you were an Albion fan in the national papers. It was great. In fact, actually, I think it was four four two where I first came across your. I think you might have written an article where you'd mentioned you were an Albion fan, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's always good to see um, prominent figures being Albion fans. It's great, um, mm-hmm. especially in journalistic circles. Obviously, we've got Paul Hayward as well, famously, um, and it, that's that's always good to see. I've, I think that always cheered me a little bit to know there was a there was someone out there in, in the national press um, holding now, up the Hicks, Albion ends. The nuns of the of the mirror. Uh, yes, yeah. Mainly writes about snooker, but also actually lives in in Tooting, um, but uh, is a, is a died in the world Albion fan. Often see him with his daughter um, before games um, outside yeah. the club shop. So um, yeah. That's Hector Nons, isn't um, it? Luckily, yeah, but Hector, uh, uh, we were talking earlier, had a was taken ill um, before the Millwall QPR mm. game the other night, and uh, is was uh, was taken to King's College Hospital. I think he was due to be um, sent home around the time we're speaking. So, uh, you know, good luck to Hector, and uh, wish him all the best of health. You know, a top guy, um, you know, great Albion fan, bringing his uh, daughter up the right way as well to uh, to win. <laughs> No, it was good because, uh, you know, it, it helped that, um, you know, I I, I never, f- I think I failed to get, um, you know, a, a mention of our fight for, for the grounding. I, I remember that I was doing the uh, the playoff final. I had a whole, I had that weekend there. So I did the, how was it, Palace West Ham on the? Yes, that's Sunday, right. Yes. I, I, well, I'd go on the Saturday or the, other, or the other way around. <clears throat> and, you know, obviously wasn't just a question of saying we've been promoted, but mentioning that there were 30,000 Albion fans and this is why they need the new stadium and blah, 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 yeah. John Prescott, blah, blah. You know, it was, had that sort of form of words ready to trot out at any um, any time I could. And then when um, the club gave me the story of um, Charlie Oatway, um, you know, learning to read at the club's own, uh, oh, yeah. you know, at Al- with Albion in the community, uh, you know, I, I knew what, I knew what the job was to say, look, you know, this is the, what the club is doing, you know, in a couple of porter cabins and with Dean and just imagine what they could do, you know, if they had proper facilities and, um, 
so i mean paul and i you know whenever possible i mean paul had a a slightly bigger platform but uh, anytime you know we could get the word out there and um you know any any chance you know you you did you you got you took and um obviously you know that that we had to, you had to bear in mind that that we were at that time a well for a couple of seasons a championship club you know and there was only you know that not everyone was obsessed with what was going on um you know with dean and uh, with the falmer stuff uh, as we were but you know you you tried to get it in when you could yeah speaking of facilities um the press facilities they must have uh changed rather dramatically um for the albion certainly and uh, boy in general i suppose things have, have stepped on through the years haven't they um well, with it, new I, I really enjoyed um the Withdean press facilities. If I was working, you know, you, you'd 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 sit in that cramped little press box up near the um, near the PA hut. But if I wasn't working, and I got, uh, I I'd try and get um, a, I didn't have a season ticket then because I really, really wasn't um, wasn't worth it. But I used you could usually get a single seat somewhere in the north stand um, at, at Withdean, and then what I would do is just go around and stand behind the press box. Uh, and there was a little sort of gathering of us. People say there was no standing at Withdean. There actually was. There was a standing room for about six people behind the press box. There would be me, Paul Cameron, in the press officer. There would yeah. be um, a couple of... Uh, there would be um, Martin Perry's secretary, uh, Paul Rogers, probably, and a couple of others, you know, a couple of the press stewards. And we would all sort of stand there and, you know, you could actually sort of bounce around if we'd scored a goal and... Uh, so that those that was a, a great thing, you know. So if I was wasn't working in the Albion, were at home at with Dean, that's normally where I'd be. And that was some. Derek Allen would occasionally come in and say, "How did you get in?" I said, well, "I bought my own ticket, Derek." You know, that's a, it's not unheard of for a press for a reporter to to buy his own ticket. Yeah, and the facilities are definitely definitely superb. But the Amex, from everything I'm hearing, oh no, the Amex, um, the Amex press yeah. well, everything about the Albion yeah. uh, about the Amex is great. I mean, I first. My first season ticket was in the West Upper, um, yeah. and then um, I, then we moved to in the front row of the East Upper now, level with the North Stand uh, oh, okay. the area. So, I mean, that view from the the, uh, the West Upper is good, but it's slightly vertiginous. And uh, ironically, that's now where the um, the press facilities are uh, since since lockdown. You know, up up there. So, with all that, uh, you know, with the oxygen and guy ropes that you need mm. to get up that high. Um, but yeah. I tell you what, the 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 upper, the east upper is one of the best views you can get in the Premier League. It's absolutely tremendous. It's the only bit I haven't been in actually, and I suspected it would be a good a good area. Um, yeah, I'm fact, actually because you have the, the backdrop of the West Stand. Um, yeah, so, you know you yeah. see the ground looking at its biggest, um, but also you know the height and everything is is great. You know you you're pretty much where a where a, a TV camera would be. We're a little bit further to one side, and we'd perhaps like to move a little bit towards the middle. But if you had to be on one side, being on the north stand side is probably a good place to be. I think. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm directly opposite you then, because I'm in the uh, mm. in line with the north uh, penalty box on in the yeah. west upper. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Robin is in the north, incidentally. Um, um, you may have heard some cat noises. If you have, my cat is sleeping on my lap here. So I'm um, clearly the cosy place to be. I see Nick's got a cat as well. Yeah, um, just walked across the, the laptop. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the benefits of being at home for these sort of things. Eh? Yeah. Um, in terms of um, the, the speaking of the Amex era as a fan, 
Um, what have what have been your key moments, your highlights as a fan from that period? Apart from, should we say, the very obvious of the promotion game? Um, yeah. what, what well, have... I think I was lucky. <laughs> there are those iconic games, are there? At uh, Withdean, it was that Rochdale game, the four-three defeat in the pouring oh, yeah. rain, when I actually was sitting <laughs> in the South Stand, completely soaked to the skin, like everybody else. That was one of those. Um, those moments that you know that you go through and you tell the great grandchildren about you say yes i remember you know we didn't have a dry stitch on us uh obviously that burnley game you know the nine men uh mm. that was that was fantastic the beating southampton three nil uh jake foster cassie scored in and and didn't is it meant sparrow scored a couple or, yeah or, sparrow yeah. scored didn't ricky lambert get sent off quite early yeah, ricky as well lambert got sent off yeah uh, was yeah, that the yeah. game that dan hart he basically bullied dan harding into getting yeah. taken off at half time as well yes, that's right yeah that's right yeah. Yes. and i think one of the goals didn't, didn't cross the line as well i think one of the goals it was it forster cassie's goal didn't actually yeah. go oh, how didn't. tragic yeah. um i think yeah matt matt sparrow scored a couple didn't he I think yeah, Matt Sparrow scored a couple, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, that was but, a great game. Uh, the, uh, the St. Valentine's Day massacre, tremendous. Um, shame about what happened later. Um, but no, that Crystal mm. Palace game, obviously, you know, the, the promotion game, uh, lucky enough to be in the press box and then, you know, to be surrounded by players and, uh, you know, in the, right in the thick of it. And obviously I was, that was the, uh, a late bit of research for the book. And um, so, you know, then from from that press box, uh, then down into the players' tunnel, you know, and, and speaking to Cal Day and uh, who, of course, was there and, you know, talking, Paul Hayward and I were sort of talking talking to Tony Bloom, you know, 10 minutes after his, his club had got promoted. And, um, and the thing is, as, as I wrote in Brighton Up, you know, a year earlier, we'd been in exactly the same location in that tunnel, talking to that uh, Wazak who'd um, pushed Lewis Dunk out of the way uh, to allow that completely unfair equaliser for Sheffield Wednesday. And, you know, very sombre mood there. You could hear them celebrating in the away dressing room and, you know, everybody was, mm. um, you know, as miserable as sin, uh, you know, in the in the good guys area. Um, no, so, you know, it, it, it all made, journalistically, it made for a fantastic contrast for the, for the you know, the two years for the book. And, uh, no, that was that was obviously a great day. The, the first game in the Premier League, it's strange, you know, because it's still slightly ambivalent about the whole Premier League thing, because having, you know, seen it up close for, for many years and seen what, you know, what a sort of tawdry show it is in many ways. But of course, if you support a club, you want the club to, to do as well as it can. And, and you, that means eventually getting promoted into the Premier League and, and then just hoping it doesn't spoil the whole thing for you and spoil the whole thing for everybody else. But um, no, but you know, I've... A, a win in the Premier League, you know, beating Manchester United to stay up was tremendous. You know, that win against Arsenal, um, the the three two against Everton last season was one of the most exciting games I've seen at the ground. You know that, yeah. That, and the move, it's just a shame that you know it, it was um, an, an own goal in the end because if he'd missed it and Glenn Murray had finished it off just behind him, yeah, you know that would have that would have won every goal of the season. Uh, award going you know just for the sheer quality of the of the move and one of my favorite current players Stephen Alzate was involved in it and I wonder where he's disappeared to but that's another question well we might yeah, that was, might come on to that because that's something I've been simmering about for yeah we'll get weeks, on to the um, the current games in, in a moment yeah mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it's a bit of a mystery that one and one one other player I know um, you, you absolutely love Robin is um is Guido. he scored a cracker in what was that game was that the West Ham match 
Yeah, the West Ham game where he scored that one from. Yeah. I, that's the one I paid far too much money to buy a shirt that he scored that goal in. <laughs> well, but he scored some. He's his goal at Stoke was a great. Well, yeah, that was goal. a better. Away that to was, West Ham. You know, yeah, people, he scored some people, belters. We've you know we've missed his raw pace as well, and and the fact that you know he he's got a heck of a shot on him. I think absolutely. That, you know, we are not. Uh, uh, we haven't. We've become a club not well known for you know goals from outside the box. It's. Uh, it's, it's just something that seems to disappeared from our ambitions. Mind you, looking at some of the shooting, perhaps it's just as well. <laughs> Fair point. Um, yeah, Bissouma yeah. does, you know, Bissouma's scored a couple of worldies, but um, it's, sometimes they're going to Rosette as well. Yeah, from hundreds of attempts, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, yeah, Izquierdo scored quite a good goal for the under-23s, didn't he? Well, was that sort lob? Of, sort of a long-range lob, I think, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. So he's obviously still got the touch, know, but we just need to that, see. That, I know that location from... Plenty of West Ham press conferences at Rush Green, yes. I'm going to speak to David Moyes in, in a little hut just around the corner from where that goal was scored. But uh, because yeah. we don't go to any of these places now, we, every, all the press conferences are done on Zoom. So uh, mm. that's uh, that's one bonus of the um, <laughs> of uh, of lockdown, not having to sort of shoot off to all these training grounds scattered around the uh, the M25. Yeah, I mean, how, how have you found it overall? Um, there's a lot of challenges involved, I'd imagine, to adapt what you have to do for the job. Yeah, I mean, going to games um, has been soul-destroying, really. Going mm. to, to sit in an empty stadium. Um, I, was, I, I reported on the uh, the Palace game at Selhurst this season, and, you know, great that we got the equaliser, but, you know, a, a, a Brighton Palace derby in front of nobody. You know, it's just, it was just, it's all wrong. Yeah. And... Um, you all, all, you know, Stamford Bridge empty, and the worst of all, the London Stadium empty. I did a, I did the first game of the season. There was it West Ham Newcastle eight o'clock kickoff. Yeah. Oh God, eight o'clock in the London Stadium, you know, empty, and then you know afterwards, you know, traipsing over to Stratford Station, you know, deserted Olympic Park. No, just, uh, uh, I mean, the London Stadium's a dismal experience anyway. But but without any any fans in there, uh, just awful. And you know you sit there socially distancing, not even chatting to your mates. And then the the press conference is is done on Zoom, and you think, why am I even here? Why aren't I watching it on telly at home and then just doing you know looking at the Zoom press conference? It's a ridiculous idea. And uh, no, um, great to have fans back in the stadium. I was at Watford um, for their game against Cardiff, you know, and and just. Under two thousand people in the state in Vicarage Road, and it it sounded so loud. And uh, Millwall the other night, um, it's amazing how much how much noise two thousand people can make. Yeah, um, that Palace game, by the way, it's the first uh, first derby I've missed um, in my Albion going lifetime. Anyway, um, so I was gutted with that one, but um, it is good oh, to I'm see. Fans I've lost count of the number of derbies. The first derby I saw, apart from a pre-season friendly after they'd just been relegated. There yeah. was um, there was a one nil up at uh, there were, we lost three nil I think at, no we beat them one nil on the first game game of the season Ian Mellor scored then we got mm-hmm. done three nil up there then the following season we went one one nil absolutely against the run of play I think we scored after three minutes and the rest of the game was like the Alamo and I people say oh when did the rivalry begin and I think it was that night and then they came down to us and uh, two goals from Sammy Morgan beat them in front of a massive crowd at the Goldstone um, and that was um, that was Peter Taylor and I think Malcolm Allison of course after that it became Venables yeah. and, um, and Mullery but I think it, it had been building up 
um, before yeah, then. Yeah, I've, I've heard that from a few people, actually, that have said that, that were there in the time, um, have said that it, d- it did develop from at least a couple of years beforehand. Mm. Um, and yeah, maybe more. Yeah, it, that's interesting. But um, I was going to ask you one one question about the Brighton Up was how it came about. I mean, it's, it's a fairly obvious answer probably in terms of it was a momentous moment I, I started supporting in 79 so it's the first time I've seen us get promoted into the top flight um, for any of us it's the first time in in decades mm. um, it's a momentous obviously a two-year period isn't it you cover yeah. you cover the, the missing out the year before I wanted to call it a tale on. of two seasons actually because I, I rather like yeah. the contrast but um, the the publisher I went with wasn't keen and he wanted to call um, it something like something ridiculously uncatchy, like you know the, the Brighton's journey from triumph to despair to triumph. And I thought, oh come suck. on, I've got to be able to do better than that. And I just thought, no, it's um, I'm quite yeah, I'm not, what I came up with in the end. No, it's, I was going to say yours, way, yours is the best. I think yours in is the a best. Way, I think Andy Naylor, in a way, sparked the idea because I remember talking to him. We have we have a sort of um, occasional Brighton sports writers pub evening. Um, there's a, a lot of sports writers who live down here from various publications and uh, and people who, who used to work for various papers. So, um, you know, and um, a couple of my former bosses on the Times Sports desk live down here and they, they run the uh, that record shop around the corner of um, Brighton Station now. All right. Interestingly, yeah. the record album, thoroughly recommended. Okay. Uh, and at one of these evenings, I asked Andy about, you know, what he thought about the their prospects and, you know, expected him to say something cagey like, um, you know, well, you know, might get into the playoffs again if we, if we you know, if we if everything goes right. But he said, oh, no, absolutely. Um, automatic promotion. I'm convinced. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, I can't see anybody who's going to finish above them. And I thought. Well, I mean, I I think that as a fan always, you know, I never can see who's going to finish above them. But, um, you know, if Andy thinks that, then there must be something in it. And I was thinking there'd been this, there'd been a, um, a book that John Vinicom and, uh, and his predecessor had done about pro- uh, a promotion book. Um, you know, it's one of my treasured possessions. Up, and up and away? Thinking, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I got to thinking... Well, I mean, I'd wonder if Andy's going to do a similar one, you know, because if he's not, I, I know somebody who wants to do one. And so I said, are you thinking of doing uh, thinking of doing a book if they go up? Because uh, he, but the Argus, of course, always published those um, collections of his match reports. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, um, and he said it at the time he wasn't. So from that sort of moment on, and this would have been September, October, I, I kind of thought, well, you know, if, if they if they are going up that, you know, there's obviously a, a book to be written, a story to be told. So I went to the club and said, look, you know, um, if you guys are going to do a book, you know, like their, their stadium books, you know, um, you know, could I have a, you know, could I sort of put my hat in the ring for do for writing the, the copy, writing the text, you know, if you guys don't want to do them. And they said, well, we haven't got anything lined up, but if you want to do a book, we, you know, if you want to do a book with somebody else, uh, you know, we'd give you all the access and assistant you since you wanted. Um, so I sort of started thinking about, you know, a, a publisher and um, the the club. Somebody at the club put me on to 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 Bite Back, who do, who do football books as well as um, 
politics books because Ian Dale's a big West Ham fan and um, uh, you know does a West Ham blog. Um, uh, and so I went to them with the idea and they said, well, yeah, it sounds a great idea, you know, if, especially if you're getting access from the club, um, just, you know, have to actually um, make sure they get promoted now. Um, and after they won at Wigan, I think they were never out of the top two again, you know, so, you know, I, I started collecting stuff, um, you know, that I already had and putting it all together and getting it in shape. And I do remember, you know, as soon as um, the the final whistle had blown at, um, at the Wigan game, you know, that I got a text from the publishers saying, uh, okay, right, you know, you've got so and so, so many weeks to, to get the manuscript to us. And uh, yes, so uh, at that point, it was all, um, it was all systems go. But, you know, obviously, the, all the preparation had, had, had been done by then, because, you know, you, you just knew that we weren't going to mess it up. Um, have to, to give a big shout out to Tim Carter, you know, the club historian, because his Albion Almanac, absolutely invaluable, you know, day-to-day record of what had gone on so you could go back and just check that, oh, had this happened before that? And um, I did have to agree to let the club read read it, and there was a couple of little things they wanted taken out, but nothing major. There was one thing I was sure they'd want taken out, but they didn't. They, they allowed it to stay in, so uh, uh, they made That's a couple of minimal changes. And it yeah. kind of annoys me, because one of the things that I agreed to take out. Um, now I read it again. It, it doesn't quite make sense that what there's a little bit of a continuity failure because uh, when I took something out, I should have moved something to somewhere else to make it make sense of it. Uh, hmm. If no one else has spotted it, I'm not going to tell you where it is. So, uh, okay, well, <laughs> but no, I, I have I, to I, say, I only praised the yeah. club for um, for the access they gave me, and it was, you know, it was actually, I think. I mean, one of the, the chapters that people notice is the one about the Shoreham air crash, actually. Yeah. Because, you know, to, to actually hear from the players and from Paul Barber, you know, what that actually meant. You know, you, it's, people think of football clubs as being sort of, you know, big organisations. But, you know, the fact that Jacob Grimstone had, had worked for the club and that, um, you know, they, they, it was it was obviously, you know, deeply felt. And, and um, David Stockdale going to see... Um, Jacob Grimstone's mum, mum and dad, you know, and um, Alan Murray going along. It was, um, it, you know, it shows the heart of the club, I think. And I think it, you couldn't take that chapter out of the of the book and 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 have it, you know, be the same book as as it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it, that whole, in, a, bit in a strange way, that that event was very galvanising, wasn't it? I mean, obviously, you would never, you wouldn't want an event like that to obviously happen. But the, the knock-on no. effect of it was that it well, it Paul did Barber have a said, kind of you know, galvanising effect. Paul Barber said, you know, that that they would have given everything for it not to have happened, and still would. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it did, you know, that sort of hashtag together thing, you know, came to mm-hmm. actually have some real meaning. And um, no, it was. Um, you know, and all those other sort of little tragedies that that happened. You know, Sarah Watts dying. You know, Paul Welch, of course, who who you guys know well, not yeah. not living to see it. You know, um, various other you know key figures, uh, Roy Tudor, uh, you know, who um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine uh, that I was at school with, a guy called Nigel Beale, um, you know, who was a season ticket holder up in the uh, in the in the West Upper. You know, yeah. tragically died. Uh, over the summer and never got to see us play in the Yeah, park. I suppose we lost Ed Basford, didn't we, as well? Ed Basford, yeah. yeah um, you know, and, and all those people you think, you know, 
partly because of them or, you know, largely because of them in the case of Roy and Sarah and, uh, and Ed and, and Paul, you know, we're kind of where we are because somebody possibly would have stepped, stepped up, but they were the people who were there doing it, you know, and so, uh, but it's all part of uh, part of the story, I think. Was Nocky's dad the same year as well? Or was that the year? Was that the season we missed out? No, no, that, no it was the promotion uh, season. That, that, that was the same year. Yeah, remember it was oh. at Bristol City. When yeah, of course. Yeah, Sidwell. Sidwell scored the goal, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he scored. What game? What game was it? He scored at home, and then he went and held up his picture of his dad. That was the game. <sighs> yeah. First game. That first was game back, wasn't it? Cardiff? No, it wasn't Cardiff. I can't remember who it was. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure. I want to say I, Peter I want to say Wolves, <laughs> but I don't think it was. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, he brought it to the West End sort of area, didn't he? Just in front of the dugout. Yeah, yeah. Much. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, yeah it's but, a great book, basically. Is yeah, it's really good I read. I, I have well, to. The thing is, I must say selfishly, I, I if there was going to be a promotion book, I didn't want anybody else to write it. So essentially, <laughs> I got in there, you know, got my foot in the door, made sure I did it, and. um you know, it, it, if it's a successful book, it's because of because the the players did the business on the field and and the club allowed me access to them to 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 tell the story. Really, yeah. and, you know, the story writes itself. It's basically just tying lots of quotes from the players together. Yeah, and it, it is a actually really good book. what it does. No, it's a very good. And actually, what it does is actually I I actually reread it about six months ago, and what it does yeah. is you it actually very succinctly actually puts it in your you almost forget about that season where we missed out part of you actually just wants to go i want to expunge that it never happened but actually when you read it without being kind of trite about it it actually shows it as this kind of you know almost like hollywood arc of Mm. plot that you know you've almost got to go to the lowest steps and the kind of stereotypical missing out by a whisker and then out of it's almost out of the ashes you know everyone you know it's, it's a yeah, it's a it's a kind of if you were sitting down to write a dramatic yeah. sporting yeah. fiction. Well, I think that you'd you almost know, go with that. With Calday coming back, you know, and and sitting just next to the players' tunnel for the Wigan game, you know, mm. and Brian Owen and I after the Sheffield Wednesday game had been the only people who'd sort of seen him. He he was, I think, he just put a tracksuit on over his kiss and he walked down the tunnel, um, you know, and just sort of stared in, onto into into the blackness of the. Uh, of the stadium, and this must have been an hour after the final whistle against Sheffield Wednesday, you know, and, and we just sort of saw him and I think Brian said, uh, you know, is he saying goodbye to the Amex? You know, because as you know, he his contract wasn't renewed and he did, did go back off to, to Spain, didn't he? And, and as he came back up the tunnel, you know, he'd obviously been crying his eyes out. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, but of course, because you know we, I have access to you know on match days to in that situation. I was able to see that, and I think only only Brian and I were still there left at the end uh, to to see that. So you know to to have those moments. Of course, the other thing that I was allowed on the um, on the team coat on the team bus for the uh, the victory parade along the seafront. So um, that was uh, there were one or two shots I think of uh, on the front cover of the Argus where you could just see my head peering up out of the. Uh, <laughs> The stairwell on the open top bus, you know, sort of taking a bit of reflected glory, but uh, Nick and photo bomb shocker, <laughs> yeah, yeah um... photo bomb Steve Sidwell. Um, no, but obviously, you know, you got. I was talking to Liam Rossini on on the on the bus, and um, I tell you, there were one or two things that you know that happened on the bus that will stay on the bus. <laughs> it was uh, nothing uh, less. Was, hmm. But and then you know, being backstage at the. Uh, you know, uh, at the Hove Lawns and everything, and uh, 
talking to uh, Mark McGee was there and, you know, John Templeman and people like that. And uh, no, it was, uh, yeah, it's It's great to be, you know, to be, to be allowed into, into the, uh, into the backstage area as it were. And, uh, you know, that's a privilege that, that sports writers have. And, um, you know, and should never get blase about because, uh, you know, it, it, now that it that's been, you know, the, 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 the big, being able to actually speak to players after the game has been sort of taken away from us. You know, I think a lot of people are, you know, now only now realizing quite what a, you know, what a privilege that is and, 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 and one that, you know, we should appreciate and, and never uh, really abuse, but um, maybe, maybe they'll allow us back one of these days, but it won't be for a while. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, the, um, certainly the book, I think the, the two year season, that that is a natural narrative arc. I think that uh, that really does perfectly encompass the story in its entirety. I think it, it is the natural flow. It was a momentous time; that a lot happens, and it is a very good read. I'm just curious to know where this continuity element was. Um, I'll have to I'll have to read it again. I, and, say, I didn't notice. I didn't yeah, notice. That's a good I sign. I didn't notice a, a gap myself, to be honest. Yeah. No, it's and just wh- that I. Something happened on a particular day that the club wanted the mention of it taken out. Uh, okay. And so something that was would then have been like the next day, um, there's a mm. gap. And it, it, you think, well, wait a minute, that wasn't the next day. That was three days later. Um, mm. So a sort of a few days have been have been lost. And um, the eagle-eyed reader might spot it, but I don't know. Yeah. Can you tell us which bit you thought was going to get taken out or asked to be taken out and wasn't? Can you reveal that to us? Um, well, <laughs> no, it, it, a little bit was a little bit was taken out where I expected the whole section to be taken out. But it was about a particular player. Um, well, I, you know, I was I was I'm kind of surprised that they. Uh, they allow, you know, me to 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 talk to people like Paul Wynn Stanley, you know, to talk about the, re- the recruitment process. Cause I think, you know, that, hmm. that sort of stuff might've been fairly commercially sensitive and, uh, you know, to talk about the ins- inside workings of the training ground and stuff. But, uh, yeah. um, no, I, I think the, the, those, <laughs> the, th- the thing was, I think it's a, it, it's a thing that, that is part of the, the club's process, but I happen to know every other club does it as well. So I don't think, I think they were just being needlessly um, sensitive about something. I'll tell you what that is afterwards as well, but I'm sorry. You, <laughs> if people want to, to um, I don't know, to, to send me messages on North Stand chat and guess, then uh, I might have a direct message. You have to write another book. Them, well, actually, <laughs> what would the other book be? Um, staying up isn't quite as dramatic because there's beats <laughs> in it. And, I don't want to write another promotion book because it means we've been relegated. So uh, we'll have to wait for a qualification for Europe. But yeah, I do remember being at um, <laughs> an Albin Raw event at the Rialto Theatre with Paul Hayward, and um, I think they asked us what um, what we'd what we were looking forward to about the Albin that we hadn't seen. I said I'd I'd like us some way to fluke a trip to Europe. I'd like us to win the fair play uh, UEFA um, Europa League place. So I don't think there is one anymore. No, but no. Um, I think I think I think just a couple of games somewhere in Europe, you know, because um, I absolutely, I've, you know, to 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 go to, you know, to Europe. I've been with Ipswich, Fulham, Arsenal, Chelsea, as I say, Rangers, 
all sorts of clubs. And, you know, for Ipswich, if Ipswich can play in Europe for two successive seasons as, uh, and, um, you know, if Portsmouth can can get into Europe, then... Well, it's like if Fulham can get to a UEFA Cup final. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yes, yeah. I, I, I reported on their, on games from their, for them in Rome. Um, and their previous trip under Tigana, we went to Berlin, Split. Um, oh, I've been to uh, I've been to to Budapest with Millwall. That was interesting because remember when Millwall got to the FA Cup final. Going anywhere with Millwall, I think, would be interesting. Oh, uh, well, I tell you what, they'd run into some. Oh, my only well, they, they had Russ and I's only experience of Millwall was we ended yeah. up in a pub in Borough Market, didn't we? With yeah, with, some with sort what... of old school Millwall hooligans. Yeah, uh, I think that was after we'd beaten. What was it? That was after a Charlton. That was after yeah, the, it was, Charlton, it was the, four nil. the Charlton games, wasn't it? We beat Charlton four 0 They beat um, Palace one 0 So we were well, sort of patting each other. Do you on remember the... when those those um, three terrorists started um, macheting people in Borough Market? Yeah, oh, yeah, and it was the Millwall fan, wasn't it? Who... When they said, you know, die infidel, he said, "F off, mate, I'm Millwall." Just went plowing in the bar still. No, well, at least useful when, for when Millwall played in Europe, they drew Ferenc Varos, who are actually even harder than Millwall are. Um, hmm. So it, it didn't it didn't end well for Millwall. I remember um, looking over the back of the stand in the press box at the, the stadium and seeing various Millwall uh, fans being put into a hospital, into a into an ambulance. And um, right. no, they uh, Ferenc Varos are some, have some very bad boys indeed. But uh, no, there was you know. Budapest with uh, with police sirens, memorable afternoon before the game. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't just the Millwall uh, boys and girls. It was uh, it was the home fans as well. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be lovely to you know for the for to yeah, have anywhere city square in Lille or you know somewhere in um, in Germany or you know Portugal full of Albion fans before a match. Some you know some September wouldn't it? Okay, you know you've got the pre-season tours, but actually you know to. To have your team playing in the Europa League. Yeah, have a competitive game. Competition they're going to have. Or if they just in, oh, well, yeah, the second game, you know, is. if we're playing Palace in, um, you know, in Chicago or Miami, that would be something, wouldn't it? Oh, that would be good as well. That would be good. Somewhere fun. warm would be nice, yeah. Miami I mean, would be really nice for that. Oh, I tell you what, if it's if it's a pre-season, Chicago's warm. Oh, yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of competitive European club football international club football that that's the the one remaining what we can probably consider attainable dream isn't it it does feel feasible that we could do it um either coupled with winning one of the cups which would be amazing or um or just by somehow getting into the top six one year or as you said the fairs thing or something equivalent yeah, or, to that. or losing a final and having somebody else where you know there some yeah. some qualification of fluke or just, well, just winning other, the league the tournament they're coming up with you know, you might, you might... <laughs> Well, that. we're not going to be able to do that if we keep losing at Southampton, it must be said. Um, <laughs> we'll get on to that in part two coming up in just a moment, if you guys can hang on for that one. Um, we'll yeah. talk about the Saints game and we've also got a quick preview of Leicester. So that's coming up in part two in just a moment. So welcome back to part two of this episode with Robin and with Nick Trepanek. It's great to have you guys with us. And we're now going to talk about the bit we don't really want to talk about too much, the Saints game. A 2-1 defeat at home. Uh, we lined up with Ryan and Goal. We had a back three of Veltman, 
Dunk and Webster with Tariq Glampty back in the team at right back or right wing back, Solly at left wing back. And then they had Ben White placed with Eve Basuma in the deeper midfield roles, Pascal Gross ahead and Aaron Connolly and Danny Welbeck up front. No place inside for more pay, at least not to start with. Um, thoughts on the lineup, first of all, guys. Were you reasonably pleased with that selection? Um, beyond, if you take if you swap White for Alzate in that lineup, then I'd have been a lot happier. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, um, I, um, I was just so pleased at the beginning of this season that we seem to have Bissouma and Alzate as our two central midfield players, uh, our two best central midfield players playing in their best yeah. position. And then something happened with uh, Elzati going off to Colombia. Um, now, you know, part of this is that we've got all these great central defenders who all seem to have to play somewhere or other. Now, you know, I'm, I'm I don't know if we signed Veltman because we'd done this deal, and you think, well, you know, let's have a good player for nine hundred thousand if we possibly can. But you know, you've got Ben White, who's supposedly an England class centre back of the future, being played out of position. I thought we'd seen the last of players being being played out of position. No, he's a he's a central defender. Play him there if it means Veltman yeah. has to play sit on the bench. Then okay, but I mean we're missing something with not having Alzate there. Alzate's got the best first touch of anyone in the club outside probably Adam Lalana. You know he he's he's a he's a he's a really good attacking uh, young player, and I don't think we should be sitting on him, and I don't think we should be sort of frustrating him. I mean I think we we're already doing that with. Uh, with Alexis McAllister, I don't really know why he's here and not back on loan at Boca Juniors if he's not playing. Uh, and Alzate, you know, I'm thinking, well, here's a fantastic talent that we unearthed and that Graham Potter gave a chance to. And now for some reason, he doesn't seem to even get a couple of minutes at the end. Um, I, I, I don't really understand. It. I don't know what, what he's done wrong, what he's done in training. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that where I was very pleased to see him in the team, I'm now just as displeased to to find that he's mm. he's out of it for no other reason apparently than he went to Colombia. Yeah, I, I mean, and the, I the kind of the flip side to that yeah. is that I could almost I could understand it if he didn't want to disrupt a team that was consistently winning. Mm. Whereas obviously we're not consistently winning and we are clearly lacking a bit of spark in midfield. So I don't get it, and I totally agree with everything you've said in Ozata. He is Russ. We've said it on a couple of these shows. <laughs> He is one of the, he is one of the few players in the team who is capable of doing something which is a incredibly unpredictable and b incredibly effective in a dangerous position and pulling it off. And especially basically. against teams that sit back against us, I think. Yeah, I think the two of our most frustrating games have been West Brom and Burnley. And okay, you know, against a team like Villa, uh, Villa Park, and Newcastle at St James's Park, who are going to come out and attack. That's when you know we can pick them off and we can be at our best because we're not sort of grinding into a ten-man defence. And I think if you are in that situation up against a packed defence, Alzati is one of those guys who's got the close control and the skills and, as you say, the unpredictability. Who might be able to unpick it in a way that one or two of yep. our other players seem to struggle to do. Agreed, a hundred percent. Yeah, effectively doing what Lana does when he's playing further yeah. forward. Another player of that class, isn't he? Effectively. And I'm, I'm also nonplussed as to why he's not starting. I mean, maybe there's something behind the scenes we don't yeah. know about, but 
if that's not the case, then it's it's a it's a no brainer for me to bring him back in. I do really like one, it. Really is. I love Ben White. I've I've rated him since before Leeds discovered him last season, uh, and mm. he's 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 an absolutely cracking player at centre back, isn't he? Um, but he's just yeah, not a midfield, central midfielder by any no. <laughs> any stretch I mean, of might, the imagination. He, he, he does a good job in central midfield, but I think we've got someone yeah. who could do a better job, and yeah, I think Ben White could do a better job in the in the back three than Adam Webster does. Yeah. Oh, yeah, agreed. Agree. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And the idea with for me, Veltman is is the extra cover to be able to have that flexibility to interchange them in the centre back positions. Mm. I don't think you're right. It's about ben, having ben it's about having competition there, for places, not shoehorning them all into the same starting lineup. There's yeah. a bit of a difference between the two, isn't there? Yeah. So that was obviously that that's a bit of a curiosity there. Um in terms of the match, I mean, it started, it was quite open, wasn't it? It was, it was the sort of way that, as I said, I had my Saints mate on the, uh, the preview pod and he was saying it's going to be a good game because they tend to be and we go at each other and it's, it's quite an open style of game. And I think it pretty much was. It looked quite bright, quite lively. Both teams had intent. There was a lot of good attacking play in general, albeit not, uh, not scoring-wise, um, in the earlier stages. Um, would, you, would you agree with that, um, Nick? And... Where do you think the the game? Well, yeah, I mean, great between the two penalty areas again. You know, yeah. uh, I, I, remember, <laughs> I do remember writing in the book that um, Brighton's strength was in the two penalty areas. You know, when they got promoted, you know, rock solid defence that would keep teams out, and Glenn Murray at the other end, or, and Knockart who would always get you a goal. And now we seem to be the complete opposite. You know, everything is fantastic between the two penalty areas. The you know some great interchanges, very entertaining play can't score a goal and then give a stupid one away. Um, now, Expert. when you when you look at it, that analysis doesn't really stand up because it's actually, uh, we've actually scored, a, somebody said we scored more goals at this stage than we have in the other Premier League seasons. Yeah, um, it's actually so, defending. Yeah. It's giving the goals away that's that's cost us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, whatever, it, it's, it's a slightly different situation because we're doing so much more attacking this stage. We, we should be scoring more goals than we are. Um, mm. I think that's the, the frustrating thing. If you look at all the the sort of stats, you know, we should be sixth and, you know, we're, we're making... Yeah, expected goals, aren't we? We'd, we'd be top four or something. So many of the shots that, that we're conceding are going in. We're not conceding many, you know. On, on that um, metric, we're doing well. But the ones that are getting through are going in and... Um, it's, it's, it is just so frustrating. You know, you'd, you, 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 there's this that truism or that piece of wishful thinking that the luck will even out and we'll, we'll win a game we, we don't deserve to. Well, you sort of hope that, but what might happen is we might start playing not so well and then still not winning. So it's the, yeah. it's the disappointment. And we've been waiting, we've been waiting for that bit of luck for well over a year as well. Yeah, of having these teams on the ropes and not finishing them off. Yeah, it's 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 true. The luck doesn't even itself out. The the, the no. mathematical probability of that is is ridiculously small. Well, you anyway, know, you look at it another way. We've had Burnley and West Brom at home. You know, two mm. of what should be our easier games. It never is with Burnley, but you know, and we've got two points from that. It's yeah. uh, you know the, the opportunities to get points don't come along every week. And if we if we don't beat one of Fulham and Sheffield United in the next three games, you know things will be. Start to look a bit a bit iffy. Oh, if you take the last three games, we got a win against Villa, we drew against Liverpool, and we unluckily lost to Southampton. You might say that the VAR luck as well better than evened out because 
the VAR decision that went our way at Villa was worth two points. The VAR that went against us against Southampton only lost us one. So you could even yeah. say we're ahead on VAR as well, if you wanted to yeah. look, look at it in that positive light. And obviously Liverpool gained us a point, didn't it? So we're doing all right. Yeah. yeah. Hurrah. Hail VAR. <laughs> Although I still have an issue with, I, I think soft though, some of those decisions were marginal though. Some, some of those decisions were the Saha, uh, sorry, the um, Salah offside. Um, ultimately within the current laws of the game um, and the current interpretations, they were actually the right decisions. I think the, um, only, the only thing I have against it is the sheer time it takes. If yeah, you're looking for a exactly. clear and obvious error, if it takes five minutes to decide, then it wasn't clear and obvious. And that, that yeah. should be clear and obvious to anybody. And that's I what, said exactly um, this yesterday. Yeah. That's what Very Mr. Nice. Walton on BT Sport keeps harping on about. And he's saying, I agree with him, but that's not what's actually happening and that's the problem no. and they all seem to be going against us don't they the only decision that i can think of that hasn't that's been a, a decisive one was the solid march foul in the run-up to the equalizer at spurs and we didn't get any benefit from that in the long run and we were still outweighed by two poor decisions in my opinion mm. the Kane and uh, trossard incidents but possibly debatable, i still but... think i think the i think the solid march foul at villa was a penalty myself but I think oh. we got a bit lucky with that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still in two minds as to whether he touched him at all. And I think that the yelp from Trezeguet was just so embarrassing. I think it, that it, definitely didn't help. No. Yeah. Um, they say when there's accidents, if you can hear them screaming, that's actually a good sign. They're going to be okay. It's when they go quiet that <laughs> they're not. But I wonder if that applies to Trezeguet on the uh, in the penalty box as well. <laughs> he certainly did make a lot of noise. Yeah, I'm not sure he touched him at all. I certainly don't think it was a penalty. So I think that was just the correct decision made. But, I mean, we, we did get um, ourselves ahead in this game and we were full of hope. Uh, 26th minute, wasn't it? A penalty for Pascal Grosch to uh, to put away in the absence of Morpé. No decision to be made on who to take it. Um, from, I think, a correct decision, would you agree? In the, uh, in oh, the Yeah, I mean, lunacy, lunacy from Ward Prowse. Yeah. yeah, it was a mad one, really, wasn't it? Um, didn't really need to commit in that particular situation, I don't think. He just needed to carry on trying to show him, show him, um, show them out. And then when the ball came in, he's yeah, it's just I, I don't know. You can argue with it really under the current rules. I don't know what he thought he was doing. Really. It, yeah. I mean, it was it was yeah. a weird one. Yeah, there's been some controversial ones, but that wasn't was it? <laughs> in that regard. No. Um, but unfortunately, we couldn't quite hang on, could we? Um, Vestergaard, 45th minute. Um, I don't know about you guys. It's, it was a terrific header, but header. and it had a lot of power in it. But zonal marking—I'm I'm having a lot of problems with zonal marking. I have for some time. Um, we just don't seem to be taking responsibility. I think you mentioned earlier, Nick, about Adam Webster as being well. He's been caught ball watching. I think a few times. He does a lot of good stuff bringing the ball out. But, um, but I think he had, he's prone to lapses of concentration on, on occasion and ball watching. And I think Dunk hasn't been as good as he has been in the past since he's oh, returned to the team. I thought he was team. back to his best against, Le- against Liverpool. Yeah, he, yeah, to be fair to him, yeah, there, that wasn't there, a bad. Yeah. There were so many things wrong with that Southampton goal. Yeah. I mean, that... The Altman as you know, well. If you know, if you know Vestival, there are ways to, to stop, you know, tall players getting a run at you. You know, you block their run. Um, yeah. You know, the, 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 the video analysis identified Veltman, you know, as, as having lost him. But, um, hmm. you know, that if you're going to play zones, I mean, you 
there are, there are ways to do it, and I don't think we're even doing that very well. And of course, we get back to my bugbear: no man, no men on the post. Yeah, that's, you know, any, anyone, oh, even Harry Lamptey standing on the post heads that one off the line. Yeah, yeah. How come we had Solly March on the line against Manchester United to head away in the in the hundredth minute, uh, notwithstanding <laughs> the he was given anyway? But but we don't have anyone on the post from that corner. Don't. Yeah, I mean the criticism said that especially if your goalkeeper is not the tallest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the rumblings have started, haven't they, on social media? I think I'm a very long way from me wanting to start calling for any managers to go, but there's, there's obviously the very first Feb wetting going on already. Um, criticisms of Graham, but um, ultimately a lot of what goes wrong seems to go wrong on the pitch, which is not in his hands. The shooting, you know, <laughs> I'm assuming they're practising shooting and training, and if they are, then he can't help um, mistakes in that regard. In well, terms of the defending, it seems like concentration is The problem is that when they're practising set plays, they're, play, they're practising defending against a team that's not very good at attacking from set plays. So are they getting <laughs> very good practice? And, you know, that right. if you're... Somebody once unkindly said, if you're shooting practice against Matty Ryan, who's letting in more goals per shot than any other keeper in the, in the Premier League, is that really good practice as well? No, I mean, I don't... Mm. Shooting practice is, is one thing, but I think that's one situation where, you know, the, 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 you can't duplicate the situation of, of a match because, you know, you see these guys who are top professional footballers snatching at chances and it's all that's so much about confidence. I'm one of those people who, who doesn't subscribe to that view that you can't um, practice penalties. Of course you can. You can practice anything like that. You, you know, if you, don't, if you can't practice penalties, why do you practice corners, you know, which are also taken mm-hmm. in, a, in the heat of a match? But I think shooting practice is a difficult one because, um, you know, your your own defenders aren't, uh, you know, putting their heads in the way and busting up to stop you scoring where the other teams are. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I don't think the answer is Neil Mopay at the moment. No. no. And my my slight issue with with the attacking is that, and this might be this is something this is one of my bugbears and it might be a slightly erroneous one. But it seemed to me that for quite a long time now, in attacking situations, we often take a, a less we often take a less attacking option. So it might be one more pass, or it might be look to bring another player into play. When actually the easiest option and less risky option would be to have a shot. I'm not saying we're trying to walk the ball in every time and score the perfect goal, but there are occasions where I think you said confidence. But I think it's almost like we lack confidence to have a shot. Well, I mean, I think Sonny March has had a great season, but I keep screaming at him to cross it first time rather than taking that extra touch that allows the, the, the fullback to get closer to him and close him down. And I think that I think we, we're, we just run out of, of belief as soon as we get into the penalty area, whether it's shooting a little bit earlier, whether it's, you know, just shooting from further out. Um, I just wonder, you know, whether it's getting into the players' heads, you know, oh, gosh, you know, we're just not putting these away. Um, you know, and oh, I've got to make sure, or I'll give it to somebody else to, and you know, they're in a better angle. But you know, uh, have a go, might get deflected yeah. in, you might miss, yeah. but you know, if you don't shoot, you're never going to score. Yeah, you might get a corner, you know, it's all it's <laughs> oh, yeah. you might as well, and might as well then give it back to the other team for both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's what that's something which has been. Yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been a bugbear of mine for a while, but it's just one of those little irritations, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Um, I wonder if Jahanbach he, he he does tend to try and take the shots early when he gets a chance. He's not afraid to shoot. 
is it time yeah. to introduce him back in? And he's another um, one to Nick's point. He loves he he is not afraid to sling in an early cross either as well. Oh yeah, I mean his cross that forced that own goal against Watford last season. Yeah, exactly. What it's a terrific. ball! You know, yeah. you'd, you'd have to go a long way to see him. But like, you know, you talk about the the corridor of uncertainty. I mean, that was right down a, a line drawn through the middle of the corridor of uncertainty. You know, that was that was just a, a beautiful driven cross that you know that just left all the defenders facing their own goals, thinking, "I don't want to go anywhere near that." Until Adrian Marapa just thought, "Oh, sorry, it better be me then." Yeah, it's the corridor of definite defensive disaster, more wasn't it? Really, that one. Yeah. It's, uh, nothing I could do about that. Well, like Trossard's um, ball against Everton for yeah, for that yeah. Goal there. That's you we know pushed. that's a great ball to play, but it's got to be played fast and it's got to be hit hard. That's the thing. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, looking at the stats, total shots twelve to ten in our favour, four to three on target in our favour. Um, so you know, and four four corners to three offsides are pretty similar, fouls are pretty similar. So it's kind of even or slightly in our favour in other ways. Um, so we're, we're creating scenarios, but we're just not maybe creating the best best ones we could, or if we are, we're not putting them away. Um, one person we know can put the ball away and is on supreme form and back in the team for Southampton is Danny Ings. Um, he only had a place on the bench. Um, the second half, of course, it, as soon as <laughs> as soon as the penalty. Um, was given uh, controversial though it was but we knew what was going to happen with that we'll, we'll get to that in a moment but the second half in general um, for me that's where we lost the game I thought the midfield needed freshening from a much earlier point than when we eventually made some changes it really just didn't really happen did it for me it was the game for Alzate to come in I don't know if you guys would agree on that but um, it certainly needed something because they were starting to win the midfield it was sort of shades of West Brom in a, in a sense. We weren't playing as badly as we did against West Brom, but it was the same sense of the tactics weren't working and we didn't really change it. And it was about the midfield in that particular instance. Um, would you go along with that, guys? Well, you knew yeah. Southampton were, were going to be better than they had been the first time. They had to be. Yeah. And you knew that, uh, you know, if you know anything about Hassenhuttle, and um, mm-hmm. I think um, Pascal Gross certainly does and would have no doubt have told um, Potter that, you know, there would be a reaction and, and there was. Um, and you know, making put, bringing on uh, Ings at half time, not waiting, you know, for the 60th minute, was a statement of intent. And yeah. you, you know, you knew Southampton were going to be going for it, and we didn't seem to be ready for that. Yeah, and eventually it came. 81st minute, um, it was uh, Walker Peters, isn't it, that uh, broke down on the right side. Solly closing in. There did look to be a definite foul just outside the area. That's what I thought it was at the time. That's what the referee thought it was. Um, and that's what he gave. Um, the players did end up in the box. Walker Peters rather spectacularly falling over. Um, and then it went to VAR. And lo and behold, another decision goes against us. Not the first, second, third, fourth or fifth this year, um, which has not gone our way and could be seen as us being hard done by. Um, any disagreement with that would you would you think there's any merit in claiming as soon, there was as, soon a penalty? as I was watching at home as soon as I saw the first replay I thought that's a penalty yeah I, I was absolutely I couldn't see how, how it wasn't going to be, be given so and uh, is, I, and is that I, based on what you thought they would do or what you thought it was or both I thought it was a penalty and I thought it would be given yeah. so um, I, I wasn't sure where the you know there might have been a coming together of, of the upper bodies but uh, I think I thought Solly kicked him inside the box Oh, okay. Because the legs got wrapped around, didn't they, at some point as they started well, going over? Got wrapped around, kicked, I, mean, I think the legs came together yeah. inside the box. 
and right, that's okay. what caused Walker Peters to go down. That's just my thought, you know. And I was, um, I think I was texting some of the times, uh, and I just said that looks like a penalty. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you could take either way, that looks like the sort of thing that VAR would give us a penalty. I, mean, hmm. I think it actually was as well. Yeah, because I mean, the, the question is clear and obvious. We had other issues with other games. In this one, the question is that people would ask: is is it clear and obvious that the ref has made a mistake? What they're looking at is is um, I think is the um, whether the the situation continues into the box, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure they've all seen there was initially a foul outside. That's there's no debate on that. But it's what happens afterwards, isn't it? The continuation into the box that. God knows and if there's it. additional contact from there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if we are privy to their decisions, well, you know, what what a time to be alive that would be. <laughs> no, it's, um, I, just, I, I, I just think the whole thing about VAR, you know, whether it's decisions are correct or not, it's just the time it takes. Yeah. There should be a cutoff. You know, there should be a clock in the, you know, as soon as the, as soon as VAR wants to look at something, you know, the, the, a clock should start. And if, if there's no decision within a minute, then carry on. Referee's decision on the pitch is Yeah, because it's clearly not clear or obvious. No, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the, people are going to th- be thinking, oh, you know, do I really want to pay money to go and watch this game? You know, when I can't cheer a goal because it has to be referred back to VR, we might not know whether it's a goal and for another five minutes. I actually thought that um, VAR was going to cause trouble to, to sports desks and newspapers because it would men- mean that 7.45 kickoffs weren't going to finish until 10, 10 o'clock because VAR decisions were going to take so much extra mm. time and you'd miss uh, edition deadlines. Yeah, I, I entirely effect, agree. Uh, the personal effect of VAR for me is that I watch a lot less football than I used to. Mm. I very rarely watch games that don't involve the Albion these days. Mm. I mean, we, we talked earlier about missing fans and the, the joy of having fans in the ground. But the joy for those fans in the ground is the emotions, the those those moments when goals are scored. That's what you know. That's what we go to games for, isn't it? When all said and done, or most can of us we, anyway. Can we give a massive shout out to the Albion fans, all of whom cheered the teams taking the knee? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Good um, shout. Appallingness of of Saturday. Uh, you know, just showed that that is the way to to react. And yeah. I wonder if that didn't have some effect on the fact that the Millwall fans the following night um, also applauded the um, them holding up a banner and then applauded the QPR players taking the knee. Um, I think Albion fans, with no prompting from anyone, showed how it should be done. Yeah. Yeah, so I completely echo that and fair play to them all. And it was good to see fans back in general. I had a couple of, or well, a few friends went to the game. And one of them's one of our contributors, unfortunately, wasn't able to make it tonight um, to get his first sound accounts of what um, the game was like from a spectator point of view. But yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to see that we applauded. And um, that that's long may it continue because the issue isn't going away. And as long as it's not going away, I think we should keep doing it, to be honest. Um it was disgraceful, wasn't it? The Millwall fans on Saturday. You, you went along to the next game, didn't you, Nick? And yeah, you were able to see was, firsthand. It's going difference. to be a big story if they did it again. But uh, the, you know, there was a leaflet handed out um, to everyone who came into the ground. You know, that that said the eyes of the the the, the, the notable line was the eyes of the uh, the media, the world's media are on, are on us, and they want us to fail. So in a weird way, they were sort of appealing to the Millwall 
Millwall supporters' uh, sense of not giving people the satisfaction of uh, of giving them what they want. Well, you know, um, hmm. possibly there'd been you know some people had 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 a thought, think about it, and drawn back from the, the precipice. Um, I think a lot of people will say that it was um, it was something against the political aims of the Black Lives Matter. Uh, movement well you know you could argue that and and who knows what the motivation is of people who will uh, will boo players taking the knee um you know we won't we can't know without talking to all 2000 of them but uh, uh all i would say is as i say before that the albion fans did the right thing and um the millwall fans the following night followed suit because they did applaud their their players uh, linking arms with the qpr players and holding up an anti-racist banner and then they applauded the QPR fans taking the knee so um pleased to see that yeah yeah absolutely and just just one other on that subject actually what did you make of the situation in the Champions League in midweek with the game in Paris Paris well, Saint-Germain well, against well, had all these people talking the talk about oh you know well we're going to walk off you know if there's any racist chanting well come on uh you know there's been ample opportunities for this to happen um, you know, and I seem to remember England, you know, think, oh, well, we thought if they were going to, if they did it again, we'd walk off. Well, no, walk off at the first um, racist chant, uh, you know, and then and take it from there. Uh, and, and then then it's over to the authorities to see what they do. No no doubt the authorities would do something mealy-mouthed and embarrassing, especially if we're talking about UEFA and, and, and FIFA. Uh, I yeah. hope, I would hope that the Premier League and the Football Association and the, the, the Football League would, would do better than that. Um, and uh, you know, we'll with a bit of luck, uh, we'll we'll well, we won't have to see that they do because nobody will be forced to walk off. But uh, yeah, I think I think we that's something we we need to see. Um, you know, I think uh, I think there's there's been a disgraceful things happening at all sorts of internationals and European games, and it's a, all I can say is it's about time. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Mealy mouth has certainly been the case, hasn't it? And the, I mean, it's remarkable that it's an official rather than uh, someone in the crowd this time. Yeah. That's the striking difference, isn't it? But well, but, but here's the thing, you know, you know that, that um, a game has to be played closed behind closed doors and, and, and a national association is filed, find something like 12,000 Swiss francs for racist chanting. Yeah. And yet a player can be fined 60,000 Swiss francs for wearing, you know, the wrong sort of sponsorship on his on his underpants or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think Indeed. That's, the priorities are absolutely all wrong. It, it's pathetic, isn't it? And it's long, long overdue. And they, at least now, they've, they've got to be seen to be doing something because an official's done it, which yes. is even worse. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, um, final bit. Rob, well, actually, a couple of things. Robin's had to go, so um, goodbye to him. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Robin. Um, Nick, just with the game coming up um, on Sunday evening, um, off the back of a disappointing result of the weekend, we really want to try and grab something back now, don't we, points-wise? It's going to be tough, isn't it, Leicester away? It is going to be tough, but Fulham won there in, the, in their last home game. So if Fulham True. can do it, you have to say we have to believe we can do it. They will be on their guard because Fulham did it. But here's the thing. I mean, one of our, our two wins have been away to Newcastle, away to Aston Villa, teams playing at home who've come out and attacked and haven't given us that 10-man block to try and find our way through. This, in a way, will be an opportunity for our attacking players to, to get a bit more space. And then we'll see what our whichever three centre-backs um, he picks can do against uh, Mr Vardy and, and company. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, people we'll, have um, said we'll that see. we're... Um... I'm not, not without hope for this one. 
But then, yeah. uh, then we come to Fulham and Sheffield United, and uh, you know oh. we have to be getting points there, don't we? Yeah, that's the nerve wracker. I, I, I think certainly people have made uh, a lot about the fact that we've improved our away form from what was quite dismal, wasn't it, a while ago in the Prem, uh, but that our home form suffered. And I think that is a that is a symptom of the fact that we play a certain brand of football now, different to what we did before. We're still, if you look at the equivalent results from last season, I think we're still ahead. You know, we we yeah. won at Villa where we lost last season. We drew with Liverpool where we lost last season. Southampton we lost last season. We lost this season. Leicester yeah. we're defending a nil nil draw last season, but. You know, the last time we played Fulham, that was one of the worst performances we ever have ever given in the top division. You know, they're letting a 2-0 lead slip and, and losing 4-2. We've got to do better than that, haven't we? Yeah. Tell me we Absolutely. have. <laughs> we certainly have. And hopefully we will. Hopefully we will. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But yes, the Leicester game, um, we've got a reasonable record against them. Um, maybe we could pull something off. I certainly think it would suit our play that we have the chance to get at them as much as they might to us. So we'll, we'll have to see. Um Nick, thank you very much for joining us for the pod. It's been a pleasure to have you on for your debut. Will you come back again and join us at some point? Yeah, yeah, no, it's been great. Enjoyed it. Excellent, lovely. Yes, we're always good to hear your points. And um, it's interesting to hear about your uh, your backstory with the Albion and your career. Um, just to quickly mention again the book, Brighten Up. Uh, I think it was published in by Bite Back in 2017, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, pretty sure it's still available at all good bookshops etc um, and online as needs to be the case now yeah. written by written by your good self yes excellent so i would recommend that highly to anyone that hasn't read it yet um a couple of very good seasons to talk about in that book um in the meantime thank you for joining us and we'll see you again in the meantime stand or fall up the albion sports social podcast network Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.